0: We don't pay our our female members 77 cents on the dollar. All right. We think this is, again, fairness. It's balance. It's voice. And that's that's where we are, right? The land of the free opportunity, all those buzzwords. Well, you can't be for that and be rabidly anti-union. It just does not add up.
1: welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Every year, Gallup surveys Americans about their confidence in different institutions, from public schools to banks to organized religion. This year, Gallup asked how Americans felt about 16 major institutions. The results showed that Americans don't have much confidence in anything. The confidence in the presidency fell 15 percent. Confidence in the Supreme Court fell by 11 percent. Even organized religion fell by six percent. Of the 16 institutions surveyed, only one saw confidence not fall, and that was organized labor, better known as unions. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Mike Monroe, the chief of staff to North America's Building Trades Union, a labor organization representing more than 3 million construction workers and composed of 14 national and international unions in the U.S. and Canada. Prior to joining NABTU, Mike served as the political director for labor on Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign and the director of government affairs for the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. I first heard Mike on the Midas Touch podcast, and I found him such a dynamic and authentic speaker, someone who really understood the importance of respecting the workers, the essential nature of unions. And I liked that he wasn't afraid to mince words when it came to his firsthand knowledge and respect for President Biden's sincere devotion to the American worker. I'm having him on today as we come up on Labor Day to remind us about the importance of unions in a capitalistic society. America is sitting at a 50-year crisis of inequality that has been fueled by the combined erosion of the labor power and the growth of the power of capital. The American dream enjoyed by the baby boom generation, this idea of buying a home and sending your kids to college on one income, is long gone, replaced by a very small amount of rich people sitting on top of a huge group of middle-class jobs that no longer offer a middle-class lifestyle. And we clearly need to do something about that. So I'm having Mike on to join us and give us some insight into the importance of labor unions, what's happening with them, and what we can look forward to them helping us with in the future. Our country's success is built on the backs of its people and not its billionaires. And it's about time our society started to reflect that. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, Chief of Staff to North America's Building Trades Union, Mike Monroe. Welcome, Mike.
0: Thank you, Lee. Great to be here.
1: Well, thank you for joining me. I've been in a number of unions in my life and they've always served me well. They've protected my job, my shifts, my wages, even my health. There's a real power in unions, in collective bargaining, in solidarity with workers. And being a part of the union means that the power doesn't just rest with politicians or people who are sitting in corporate C-suites, but with those who are meeting in union halls and conventions and job sites, the people that are actually doing the work of the job. And as the chief of staff to a major trade union, I'm sure you can see that kind of unified power in action
0: hundred percent and uh and thank you for that and thank you for your interest in this um, you know I think it's important for your listeners to remember that unions are not something they are people uh, they are people coming together uh, to have collective voice to lift up uh, their concerns and you know they are the only organized force to sort of be a counterweight to unbridled capital greed however you want to cap you know name it.
1: Yeah, corporate greed.
0: Um, And so again, these are people coming together to better their lot in life, right? Um, We're looking at not only wages, but working conditions, right? You mentioned shifts, right? Are they going to have a secure retirement? Are they going to have decent health care? Are they going to be able to rely on a safe workplace that if they're in a hazardous condition, they can get home safely to their family each night? So unions at the end of the day are people They're people coming together to try to better themselves. Uh, And it is an important force in not only in our economy, but our society, as you point out. And this is a unique time in our history, where some folks are reevaluating their worth, and how they can be counted, have voice and unions have been providing that. So once again, uh, we're at a point in our history, where folks are going to have to decide which side they are, are on. And, and that's not necessarily Republican or Democrat. It's just, what do you value your work being, right? Uh, What is your value to the enterprise in which you are working for? And without collective action and collective bargaining, people as individuals are less successful in attaining some of those features that would allow them to live and maintain a middle-class lifestyle. So, I'm blessed to do this work. I am honored to work for Nab 2 as you as you point out, which is an amalgam of trade associations, unions uh, in the construction industry. Uh, so anyone from laborers to bricklayers to sheet metal workers, operating engineers, painters, roofers, you know, you name it, electricians, iron workers, all those folks have a union, um, and they are part of the building trades and that's who I work for. And it's an honor and a privilege to represent those institutions and their members every day.
1: Yeah, and I would say unions in general and the labor movement have been seeing a major resurgence over the past year, right? In fact, I was saying in the introduction that unions are the only institution polled that didn't lose favor in the last year's Gallup poll. And since 2021, the approval of labor unions was at 65%, which is the highest it's been since 1965. Successful union campaigns at corporations like Starbucks and Amazon and Trader Joe's have surged across the country, while workers have increasingly Leverage their power with things like work stoppages and strikes. But even with this positive perception of organized labor changing across the country, union membership still remains low. In the 1950s, one in four Americans was in a union, and now it's only one in 10. So what do you think is the cause of this? While unions are enjoying this large resurgence in overall popularity, that the membership remains down?
0: Well, I think that it depends on the sector quite frankly. We in the construction, unionized construction crafts are growing, have been growing for the last several years on the heels of the great recession or however you want to call it. It was a depression for the construction industry. Uh, many folks lost their occupation. Some had lost their homes. It was a very tough time. Um, but since then, we have slowly and steadily uh, gained membership in in the union trades. So. It depends on the industry, but largely, what you're pointing to again is a well-healed opposition. Um, you know, we we like to talk about disinformation. I would say that is uh, uh, part and parcel to some of the, I guess, confusion around organizing drives. And at the end of the day, these employers. Uh, have very few penalties facing them if they have captive audience meetings where they essentially bring in all their employees and say, if you join this union, you're out of here. Or they outright fire people that are part of organizing drives with little to no uh, recourse, right? If they are found guilty of violating their their rights, they may get back pay several years down the road. So
1: Right. And they've already lost their job and lost their house by them.
0: That's right. And so in a human nature level, I mean, this is scary stuff, particularly if the person who or the the, the company who is responsible for your take home pay, your standard of living is telling you, you're going to like this or not, or you're going to leave it and you're going to have nothing. Those weigh on people, man. These are real life decisions. And again, as I pointed out at the beginning, unions are people. And so uh, there has been well-financed you know, lawyers, teams of lawyers, corporate lobbyists, Whomever that will pay millions and millions of dollars just to prevent maybe a slight uptick in wage earners, you know, take home pay, or God forbid they set up, you know, a retirement account for these folks, a defined benefit pension, or God forbid they help, you know, contribute into employer sponsored health care. You know, that's all they're looking for here. And so while the desire is, and I think what the, the, the pandemic showed us was, again, a lot of rhetoric about these are heroes, these are essential workers. But at the end of the day, what are we doing to support them, right? And so I think, again, going back to my first point, I think people have begun to reevaluate their self-worth and thought, you know, there is a better way here. And how do I get voice on the job? How do I bring some of these features that allow my family to not have to work two, three, four, five jobs just to make ends meet? Uh, And how can I build a successful career? And we in the trades pride ourselves on that, right? You know, there's a lot of talk obviously today about college tuition and debt. We're a debt-free solution. If folks don't want to go to college, which has been increasingly out of reach for folks for several decades now, this is a way in which you can earn your way into the middle class. And because you're in a union, in the construction crafts, you're going to be able to work safely, right? Of course, productively for the employer, but safely and have that peace of mind, you're gonna go home and at the end of the day, at the end of your career, you're going to be able to retire with dignity. So there's been an infrastructure put in place around sort of minimizing union density. Uh, And again, this information to tell average folks that this is not in your best interest, right? That this company is gonna close or we're gonna have to close our doors and go to another low wage exporting zone for this manufacturing facility. Uh, if you dare to speak up on your behalf. So um, it's a, it's an age old struggle. It will continue. Uh, but we are encouraged that people are taking a second look at unions and what they can provide for them and their
1: families. Absolutely. I mean, unions straight across the board. You're working with builders unions, there's teachers unions, there's nurses unions, there's unions for restaurant workers, there's unions for actors and performers. Um, I think we can all agree that you know unions can really help the worker. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, we understand that businesses have to care about their bottom line, right? That's their job. They're supposed to make as much profit as possible. It's a capitalistic society after all. But many industries seem to have gone well beyond that, right, with like trillions. Of dollars in annual corporate stock buybacks and stagnated wages while companies are wrecking, you know, they're just raking in record profits. I think there's been a 1300% rise in CEO pay since the late 70s, right? Like 1300% is extraordinary, right? Companies know that their ability to extract these excess profits are going to go down as union membership goes up, right? Because you're going to have to give your workers more benefits. So many of them, as you say, are doing everything they can to make sure unions don't happen. And you work for a very strong union, but you must be seeing around this country, this trend from corporate America against the rise of unions.
0: Sure, and again, this has gone on. I mean, the the unbridled sort of greed we refer to it as sort of the Gilded Age really led to, you know, the birth of the American labor movement almost a century ago. And that's right. So this is not new. And you know, as you point out, CEO corporate pay has exponentially increased. We have a new billionaire a week, um, <laughs> but and there's a lot of talk about inflation these days. Workers' wages have not kept up with inflation for some time, and no, and, not for a long know, time. The only way, because, I mean, I'll just point out, we haven't raised, for instance, the minimum wage in however long, and folks are told that, you know, now everybody's an economist, everybody's talking about inflation. I think, of course, the political expediency of that was obvious, Um, but I I would just ask them, what is their solution, right? I mean, it's a talking point to soundbite that is, you know, purportedly to help them politically in a November election, but is their solution to raise taxes? Or is it to cut wages? So I, I just there's a there's a dissonance there that again you know we keep our eyes on the prize the, the the trade union movement and unions are the only folks that are solely focused on the economic well being of their membership. We can't count on politicians. We can't rely on the benevolence of corporations or even owners operators. You know employers. They're the only ones, and so they're your agent, if you will, uh, to represent you, and you give. Them the marching orders and they represent you as dutifully as they can at the bargaining table to try to get you the best uh, slice of that pie as you can. So, yeah, no, there is things are out of whack. It's out of balance. People, I think, know that inherently, and I think you're seeing that as you refer to as the Gallup poll, where again we've had this very you know tough period right in our in our recent history, uh, and it's made a lot of people unsettled, uncomfortable. They're not sure what the future holds. And so we have just tried to be that steady voice on behalf of those workers to say, make sure you're you're, you're thinking about your workforce when you make these decisions, because they are in the, in, the, in the end what makes your enterprise successful. So uh, this is an age old story. This will continue. Um, and that's why I guess we have more relevance than ever right now. And more folks are looking towards the labor movement for some of these solutions.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, for a long time as people moved away from unions, um, they kept looking to the government to help us to keep things fair, right? And you're saying we can't just rely on the government. It's, it's unrealistic to just say, they're going to give us a good minimum wage, or they're going to make our workplaces safe with OSHA regulations or something. Because it's clear that there are people in the government who don't represent the people or the workers, who represent the The special interests and the donors and the lobbyists Mm -hmm. and the corporations themselves, right? Which is why labor unions are so essential, because they allow workers to unite and collectively bargain without waiting for the government to help them out, right? History shows us that organized labor thrives when the government supports it, but we can't just count on the government to do the work for us, right? Unions can negotiate directly with their companies. They can fight for better wages, better conditions, better treatment overall, And then unions themselves, especially big ones like yours, can use their numbers to collectively pressure the government to not only support unions and collective bargaining, but to create policies that will punish corporations for things like union busting or treating their employees poorly. So it's kind of a win-win, the union world, because they can negotiate directly on behalf of the employees, but they can also pressure the government as a group. One of the reasons that I think that the Republicans have been after the teachers union for so long, they were such a powerful union, right? And they could affect elections. And I think that's really important. I think union members need to remember that, that they have power.
0: I think you put your finger on it, and that's what scares folks, is that, look, very simply, the money in politics has corrupted a lot of the process. I I think I could say fairly. And but we, it's its a necessary evil, in effect, until and unless those rules change, why should workers not be able to petition their government, right? And so part of our collective action is to pool assets and resources so those folks have voice in the political arena. And you point out accurately that to rely on government to solve all these problems is a fool's errand. Uh, but a partner in government is important. And that's what we've had here. And that's what's led to this moment where, for better or worse, the tone setting begins at the top. And there can be rhetoric and there can be campaign promises um, and there can be follow through. And what we've seen with this administration, Joe Biden from the campaign trail and even before that, right, has talked about the necessity to build our economy from the bottom up and the middle out. And he has rightly pointed out that we all pride ourselves in talking about the great American middle class. That did not just happen. That happened because of unions. And so him, you know, pointing out that direct line between what made us, what we say and pride ourselves on as the greatest country on earth uh, happened because of the labor movement, right? And and this collective action. And so finally, that was given some regime, right? You have had federal labor law passed, but then over the years, you saw it chipped away systematically, right? Um, deliberately, deliberately. Deliberately. You know, the Department of Labor is, is charged with improving the lives, the working conditions, opportunities of the wage earners. And so all of a sudden, folks are a little upset that an actual card carrying union member, Martin J. Walsh, is the head of the Department of Labor Uh, when, you know, other administrations may think that that's just another separate chamber of commerce, right? The Department of Labor is there to protect workers. So having, you know, again, the backing of this administration, this Congress, where just the prior administration said that they wanted to save people's pensions, right? They'd go around with the Teamsters whom we represent and say, we're going to save your pension. That never happened. But one of the first things that this Congress and this administration did was provide relief for some of those troubled plans, which no fault of their own through market downturns or what have you, uh, were having some trouble meeting their obligations. There was a little backstop provided there. So that secured retirement for folks that had done nothing wrong was a function of this, this administration and this Congress. Choosing which side they were on and saying we're on their side, right? Then the first thing they come up with or start to promote is again infrastructure investment. The last president said he was gonna do it, never did it. Every week. Every Uh, week. Every week was was infrastructure (laughs) week. And we finally get it through with this with this administration because they prioritized it.
1: And we need to be clear that they have been talking about infrastructure for well over fifty years and it has never happened. So even that bill on its own is is a mind blowing success. 100%.
0: 100%. I mean, literally careers uh, of people that I work with and alongside have been advocating for such investment and now it's a reality, right? So you've got 10 years of of dedicated funding to water systems, broadband when half of these states don't have, you know, internet connections still. You got broadband, clean water, roads, bridges, airports, ports, you know, all of just critical infrastructure. All these things are in that bill. And then they move on and and of course, we're talking about sort of the social infrastructure, which we know is bogged down in sort of politics and sort of how it was attacked and described. Um, but before that you had uh, the CHIPS bill, which is bringing back high-tech manufacturing into this country that was hijacked a little bit there by politics because some in the GOP didn't want to give this administration a win. And nevertheless, everybody's been talking about bringing manufacturing back here, this Congress and administration's doing it, right? Um, now you have the recent you know, IRA, you know, which again is focused on investing in this country. Again, you have all the above energy, uh, you have the clean energy deployment, right. With labor standards that we fought for. So, you know, all of this has been centered. And then going back to the department of labor, you know, under Mr. Walsh's leadership and the direction of this president and, and the vision he's articulated, we're getting back to having the department of labor be the department of labor again. Right. And we are not, we are discontinuing the chipping away of rights that have been garnered over the years and going back to fulfilling them and the the mission of these agencies, the NLRB was staffed with folks that, well healed, you can look at their own bios, made a career in union busting. That's who some people would put on there. Joe Biden thought, that doesn't seem right. I'm going to put some folks who know the labor movement on there. That just upset people like Virginia Fox, whose hair is on fire, who now says that the the payback is coming. Again, I'm not sure what the payback is.
1: Well, it's hard to dismantle an organization if you put someone in it that believes in it. And, that yeah, is no, not and that's how been it works. the
0: intent. That's right. Yeah. That's been the intent is to undermine these successful things. So nevertheless, you can't rely solely on government, but having a partner in, in government, like we've seen with this, Biden and Harris administration and this Congress has been a breath of fresh air for folks like myself who've been working on this for several years. Um, quite frankly, some days we pinch ourselves because of, you know, the sincerity with which they go about their work in supporting the work we do. And that's all that we were asking for was a little support. So, it's been refreshing. We've had some some really good successes in the last two years. And as a worker representative, uh, it's been a real privilege to work alongside some of those folks and policymakers and the unsung heroes and staff that whom we will never meet, but will impact the lives of millions of folks well beyond our our time and careers here in
1: Washington. Yeah, I think we need to be really clear that Joe Biden is the real deal when it comes to believing in the power and importance of unions. He is the most that, pro-union, yeah, the most pro-union president we've had in a generation. And we need to be very clear to all workers around America that the Republicans on the other hand, who incessantly talk about supporting the working class, continue to not only vote against them, but to write policies that work directly against their interests. And Republicans have been very clear that if they win control of the House in 2022, one of their first orders of business will be to go after the labor movement. I mean, you're talking about Secretary Marty Walsh and- The GOP, and more specifically, probably their corporate donors, clearly feel threatened by this growing interest and power of unions. And, you know, the reporting is showing that they are going right after these people like Marty Walsh and National Labor Relations Board General Counsel Jennifer. Is it Abruzzio? Abruzzio? Abruzio, yes, ma'am as well as the board itself and the White House Pro-Worker Task Force, right? If they take control in mid- the midterms, this is their shortlist of people they are going to target. They are curbing these pro-union policies, right? They want to pull back from helping unions gather, from stopping union busting. All these things that the, the department is actually working on to support the worker, they want to completely reverse it. Are you noticing this kind of anti-union talk about uh, among conservative representatives or even conservative union workers, when you talk to people in the union who are say pro-Trump or uh, pro-republican party, are you are you able to explain to them that this party is really very anti-union and anti-worker?
0: Largely they are. Um, we, particularly in the building trades, have prided ourselves on working on both sides of the aisle. And we do that again, we feel we feel that we are value add to the industries in which we work. Um, we are the only dedicated source of apprenticeship craft training for the construction industry through the registered system, through the DOL, that this administration has supported and helps to push out and promote in other industries. You know, a lot of folks, particularly Junior Fox and others, think that the way we're going to attract the next generation of skilled craft professionals is to lower their wages, or to limit their retirement, or to undercut their health care. And I just don't know how you attract talent to any field, if that's your approach. And we, again, with our signatory contractors, we're not just some club with cards. We work with our signatory contractors, our partners who we collective bargaining with to come up with these constructs that help support the industry and their workforce. So for instance, our training, which is our hallmark, we provide with our contractor counterparts over $2 billion annually in private capital for craft training. We're not asking for the government to do that. We're doing that. That'll make these, these members of ours more employable, safer, more productive. Uh, I think for every dollar spent on this investment in your workforce, you are getting at least $1.30 back in return on your investment. And so, again, the short sightedness of sort of corporate America and those even politically motivated. And again, we talked about the money in politics. You know, we have a small voice collective action with our PAC funds and others to participate in that process. But any politician is probably getting pack checks from a number of sources, and they have to weigh who they're going to be on the side of when our whole mission is to promote the economic well-being of our members full stop. So, you know, we work with industry. We provide value. Otherwise, we still wouldn't be around. And uh, through a lot of folks, I was talking to a non-union contractor just last week, and he's struggling with sort of the historical cultural rhetoric, and he's in the South, of stay away from unions. But then he's coming up with the real world complication of finding skilled labor to perform the work. And with a, you know, decades of divestment from investing in that proven system, they're all now looking around wondering what to do and how are they finding their workforce when and now some of them are coming back to the union side because they know we're the only ones doing training. And they have sort of freeloaded for years on folks that were in the union, had gotten union training, maybe fell out of the union, went to work on their own. And they could come in because they had the skills necessary. That again, we helped provide, but that's running dry. So um, there's going to be a real decision to be made. Made again, if you're a business owner, you know how do you run your enterprise? How do you get the most out of it? And and we just fundamentally disagree that squeezing blood from a stone from workers that are already you know strapped is the way to do that. So we think everybody can be successful in this. We don't. We aren't successful unless our contractors make money. We get that. Um, we're just talking about. You know, what's our value add to this and what are we doing to provide value to that owner, that contractor? And we do that through collective bargaining.
1: Right. And you're doing that through like you're you're paying. Are you paying for this training through who dues? Is that how it works?
0: So it's uh, say it, it, it varies, but, you know, sorry, basically Mike Monroe, I would pay, you know, five or 10 cents an hour of every hour I work into a training fund. That training fund was set up before I got on the job site, and before I entered the union, for those who came before me, right? They set that up. I'm doing it for me and for those that come after me. So it's a small sort of percentage, very small, of your hourly take-home pay that helps, again, invest in you, invest in your colleagues that makes you eminently more employable and productive for the employer. So it is a, it's not a downward pressure. It is a cycle of reinvestment. That help provide value. So yes, that's all private capital. That's a small percentage of their take-home pay, and it has proved beneficial not only for the worker, uh, but for the contractors and employers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because then you have a, a fund in which to draw from, and you're only increasing the people who want to join unions because there's more benefits, and then that just gives your collective bargaining more power. So the more people yeah, and I that, think that are I, in it,
0: and I'm sorry to interrupt. It, it's it's that no. you know. Again, we 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 just find it curious that a lot of the folks are saying, "Government, leave me alone, don't do anything." But hey, I need you to train my workforce. I need you to pay for that, right? Um, again, we think that everybody should pitch in on this. You know, everybody likes to talk about you know personal responsibility and opportunity. Well, we think there's a personal responsibility to to reevaluate maybe your business model. And figure out what's a more sustainable path forward. And we think, and we know we're the only sustainable workforce development program in the construction industry. And what we've been focusing on now, looking with an eye towards the future, and again, that next generation of skilled craft professionals, I'm proud and we are very proud. We will be launching formally soon an effort that is focused solely on recruiting more women, more communities of color, more veterans into the construction crafts. We know that a lot of folks, and we know the future of the construction industry isn't going to look like folks just like me. Um, And we want to provide these opportunities to folks that, again, whether it's disinformation or stigmatizing, these are rewarding careers. And these folks can have a great standard of living if they come in and work for the unionized construction trades. And I will just say, what we do benefits not only folks that are in the union, but folks that are in the non-union as well. I mean, we are actually helping set the standards and the floor even For all workers, whether in a union or not. So I think everybody has to personally evaluate their circumstance. But, you know, it's like the old slogan, uh, live better, work union.
1: I think that makes perfect sense. And I also think the pandemic changed the game. I think everyone can see now how essential our workers are to how our society functions, and that happy workers serve the whole country better, right? The pandemic also highlighted the inequalities between the power of the corporations and the power of the workers. And it's become quite clear that employers can't function without high-quality workers, right? They cannot run these giant businesses that they have. And people deserve to be compensated and respected for their efforts. So I think we're in a place where people are finally getting it, that even if we aren't in a union, we can see that workers deserve rights and a say in their own lives. And so we're seeing this interest in unions, all kinds of unions, not just builders' unions, grow across the country. This seems like a good moment to pause and thank the company that made this episode possible. And we'll be right back after this with Mike Monroe. We're only doing one ad today because I wanted to give credit to the company that's been with us since the beginning, Athletic Greens. If you've been listening to this show, you know how much my family loves Athletic Greens. I felt so much better on the product that I insisted all my friends and family use it. Sometimes when people do ads, it can seem like they're just pitching something they don't really care about, but I don't do that. And in this case, I am literally raving about this product. With one scoop of water on an empty stomach, Athletic Greens gives you 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. So basically all the things. It's way cheaper and easier than getting all those different supplements yourself. It's recommended by professional athletes and trusted by leading health experts. And if how you feel isn't enough, Athletic Greens is also a climate-neutral certified company, so it's good for the environment. And with every purchase, they make a donation to organizations that help get nutritious food to children in need, including no kid hungry here in the United States. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com politicsgirl. Again, that's athleticgreens.com politicsgirl to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate in daily nutrition. I promise there is a reason I talk about this product all the time. It's truly that good. athleticgreens.com politicsgirl. But I'd like to double back to how corporations are fighting back. And I'm, I'm sure you're seeing this all the time. But for people at home who have been hearing stories about, um, like in June, the Chipotle restaurant in Augusta, sure. Maine became the first in the company's history to file for a union election, right? And then less than a month later, the company closed that store. Starbucks did the same thing when they chose to shut down several unionizing locations from coast to coast for safety issues, right? The health food company here in California, Amy's Kitchen, closed down an entire factory where workers were organizing. So while it's difficult to prove that these companies closed their locations to crush these union drives, it's kind of hard to see it as anything other than a threat to any other workers that might want to unionize. And so what are your thoughts on this kind of union-busting type of behavior from corporate America and people who might want to unionize and can see the benefit of it listening to someone like you who works for such a strong union and need the strength to kind of go forward and keep doing it?
0: Well, you know, again, this is an age-old tale, and um, it's scary, right? And, and, and that's the intent, is to scare these folks. They may not have armed guards with rifles pointing at them, but they have lawyers with pens and PowerPoints doing the same thing in effect. And, you know, again, we think it's short-sighted uh, and we just don't think that that's the best way to build an economy, right? And I, and again, dare I say, I'm not an economist, but if we are a consumer-driven economy, why wouldn't we put more money in people's pockets that are gonna turn right around and spend it? I'm, I'm recalling the old Dave Chappelle skit there. So I just think that, you know, again, Um, This is about balance. This is about fairness. And that's all we're seeking to achieve here. And these corporations that are doing quite well, Starbucks and Amazon are not poor corporations, but it (laughs) it is a theory of the case that these human beings are fungible assets. They're widgets. They can be replaced. We're going to, for a while, again, the trend was offshoring all of our manufacturing to low wage exporting zones. We're starting to bring that back. Um, where it was all almost entirely a service economy with low wages. And they love to say, again, disinformation, unskilled labor. All that means is, oh, I don't have to pay you anything. And again, that's why we are so dedicated in what we do in upskilling and making sure our folks are the most productive workforce in the world. That makes them more valuable to the employer. So that's where, again, I have to give kudos to the administration and those at Department of Labor and otherwise, ETA, where they are trying to lift up the registered apprenticeship model, which has served us and our end users well for over a, a century, and we're trying to export that to other industries who, again, complain about "I can't find anybody skilled to do this." Uh, well, there are systems that you can put in place to address this problem, and it's not going to be overnight; it'll be long term. But then, it again, in essence, elementally, it will be sustainable. So, you know, again, we think our model can be replicated in other industries. It's been successful. You know, very cost conscious employers and contractors come to work with us all the time uh, because it's about getting business done and we are business oriented. So, uh, again, sort of the disinformation, the scare tactics, they're very real. And one piece of business we do need still is some legislation to make sure that these penalties are real. If these employers are breaking the law, that they're not doing so with impunity. And I just don't know what's so terrifying. I do. I guess is is you can't just sort of have a one way conversation. Uh, but I don't know what's so terrifying about folks organizing for modest increases in wages, modest increases, or the establishment of again healthcare or retirement. Modest conversation about shifts, work schedules, etc. You know, again, I think that that will help feed a bottom line rather than detract from it. So it's an ongoing education. We try to provide support and resources to individuals who are looking to join and form unions, um, and we will continue to do so.
1: Look, this is my personal opinion, but I've long believed that the corporate titans of America and the billionaire class and the politicians they control are essentially trying to create kind of a new feudal system in America, where a certain group of people live in excess and the rest of us labor and toil in their industries. and We can be asked to do whatever, pay whatever, be treated however, because we have little to no other choice, right? And you're talking about Amazon. Like I'm sure people have heard stories of the workers not being able to go to the bathroom or working while sick in the chicken factories or even that horrible story of the actual worker on the Amazon floor who died of a heart attack in the warehouse and people were instructed to keep working while her Mm -hmm. body just lay there on the ground. So it is quite clear that the power of workers relative to the power of the investment class needs rebalancing. So we will either enter this new feudal era full of, I don't know, aristocracy and serfs again, or... We rebuild the power of the American Union, and we make the workers have a voice again. The workers are people in this society. As you said, at the end of the day, unions are people. And we need to see the workers of America, all of us, as people, not just as cogs in some giant machine where somebody is buying yet another yacht, right? And That's right. And I I think that's how we have to look at it, that it benefits everyone in society for unions and for workers to be treated uh, with respect and um, honor.
0: Sure. And, and look, I, I think that, of course, there are public sector unions, but, you know, collective bargaining, in essence, is a private sector solution to income inequality. Right. And, and if you don't want the state or government to dictate these things, well, then let cl- people collectively bargain. The wages are going to be different in North Carolina than they are in Los Angeles. It just is what it is. But having that voice, we think, again, strengthens communities. And, you know, a lot has been made uh, over rightfully over sort of the wage gap between men and women. I will point out for your listeners, there, are, there is no wage gap under a collective bargaining agreement, all right? Women and men are going to make the same on that job site.
1: So they don't have to wait for a government rule to tell them to pay women the same. Your union has already done that.
0: We don't pay our, our female members 77 cents on the dollar. We think this is, again, fairness. It's balance. It's voice. And again, the mission is for safety, security, economically, of course, but opportunity as well. And that's the, that's where we are, right? The land of the free, opportunity, all those buzzwords. Well, you can't be for that and be rabidly anti-union. It just does not add up.
1: Yeah. No, I had a guest on last week. Her name's Terry Cainfield, And we were talking about it comes down to what you think government is for and you either think government can help make the world more fair, or you think government is there to uphold the hierarchy. And Mm. one party thinks it's there to uphold the hierarchy and to keep the status quo going. And one party thinks it's It's to increase fairness, which is why we had the New Deal, which is why we had civil rights, why we had women's rights, and now hopefully union rights, right? I mean, clearly corporations aren't big fans of unions. They prefer the status quo. It's easier to keep the status quo if the workers of America aren't working as a team. And that's what a union is. It's a team, right? It's a group of people working together. There's strength in numbers. And corporations like the power firmly in their own camp. And unions change the game, right? So, People who spend their entire careers under unions usually retire with good pensions, accrued vacation time. They have benefits on the job. Unions work. And that's why corporations don't really like them, right? So we clearly need to rethink how American society is structured. We can't carry on with this divide between the haves and the have-nots and the workers and their corporate overlords growing more and more dichotomous, I guess. We need to support the power of the citizen and the worker and the unions that support them. And as we come up on Labor Day, what, what are your kind of final thoughts on that? You know, we're, they say we're in a worker's market, that it's finally time for workers to have their say, that we can finally say, hey, you know, I'm in a quiet quit. I'm not doing the job of three people. We're not just here to work until we die.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's uh, that, that whole quiet quitting thing is, is, is sad to me. You know, again, maybe they're quiet because they don't think they have a voice on the job. Um, and, you know, mailing it in is not good for the employer either. So perhaps we could reevaluate the culture of the workplace to have it more, sort of comfortable, if you will, for the hard work that's going to be, you know, taken on. Everybody yeah, everybody. it comes to work.
1: down to respecting your workers. That's you know? right.
0: It's it's respecting, right? Voice in the job, that kind of thing. And and again, I, I just it's it's elemental. We think to what made this country great, and politicians used to love on. They put in their campaign ads the great middle class, right? An American middle class. Well, again. That was fostered by folks agitating, trying to, as you say, upset the the status quo um, that did not count them in. And so, you know, our history is full of heroes that have really laid it all on the line for us to even have this theoretical debate, if you will, right now in the comfort of our homes uh, about the future of the labor market, the labor force, unions, and their place in our society and our economy. Uh, Folks have laid it on the lines, just as you pointed to our civil rights leaders in the past, you know, suffragettes, people that have really risked it all. Uh, And they've gone, they've done too much for us to just say, all right, mission accomplished, we're done here, when we're not. We know people are struggling. And again, Fox News will tell me every morning that people can't make ends meet and they can't get by. I just ask them what their solution to that is. Is it to cut wages? Is it to take their voice away on the job? I don't understand the incongruence of their. Their premise there. So again, it, it's, it's easy to get bogged down in the politics. Um, we think it's a necessary evil. We have to be participatory in that process. You know, what we start with is not, Hey, vote for X, Y, and Z. Our first is registered to vote, non nonpartisan voter registration, get participatory. Cause again, elemental to the success of the labor movement is we're, we're democratizing the workplace, right? We're democratizing work. We're giving people voice. Um, Majority rules. We're going to have debate, right? And then we're going to figure out the best way to move forward. But um, we think, again, we've emulated the best of what we rhetorically suggest is our society, our economy, and our country. And we think that that's emboldened and envisioned and embodied by the existence of a strong labor movement. So the work continues. Um, Everybody else has seemed to have well heeled lobbyists and PR professionals working on their behalf. For the average worker out there, your best bet is to join a union so you have voice and you too have a lobbyist on your side. You too have an advocate that gives voice to your concerns. You too have an organization that is solely dedicated to your economic well-being of that and your family. So the work continues. I'm honored to be a part of it. And I'm just so grateful that you're help elevating this voice because, you know, Labor Day is a time for folks to, I guess, put the white pants away in the back of the closet and have a barbecue. Um, but let's remember what it's really about. The folks that make this country great, all those essential workers while we were sitting at home complaining about Zoom calls or binging a Netflix show, those folks were out working still making our economy run. For our members, you know, they're building hospitals. Unfortunately, they were building temporary morgues. They were making sure HVA systems were flowing so ventilators could keep people alive, right? I mean, these folks, the work did not stop. And I think we should acknowledge that uh, more than just thanking them rhetorically on a talk show. Let's put some worth to our words. Let's make sh- sure policy is there to help again support. It. it doesn't have to solve all the problems, right? We're not asking for that. We just don't need the hostility from what we thought were elemental rights in this country. And that is, again, voice on the job, freedom association. Um, and so, again, I'm honored to be a part of it. And thank you so much for your interest in this.
1: Oh, thank you for being here. Honestly, I'm thrilled. I mean, The labor movement has accomplished so much in this country. And as we come up on Labor Day, like we said, you don't just have to put your wasp white pants away or have a barbecue. You can remember (laughs) that if you get weekends off or you get overtime pay – That was the labor movement, right? They played a huge part in gender equality laws and immigrants' rights and workplace safety and civil rights and retirement and profit sharing. That's all unions. And we need to have a government that supports unions so unions can support their workers. And I think that's what we have to remember as we come up on Labor Day. I want to thank you so much for joining me today and for giving insight into the importance of of this part of our country and uh, and the workers of America and how much of a role we all have to play in the bettering of the lives of all American workers. The American dream should not be some joke that's only available to certain people. It should be possible for all of us. And I think that starts with the revival of organized labor. And so I really appreciate the job you're doing. And I really appreciate what all the workers in America are doing. And I hope they will continue to fight for their own rights.
0: Yes, ma'am. Amen. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Mike. You too. So that was Mike Monroe, Chief of Staff to North America Building Trade Unions, Reminding people that there is a path forward for workers in America and people are not alone. That there will always be a push and pull between those who own corporations and those who work for them. But with the combined efforts of unions to represent the people and a government who respects and supports the importance of those unions, we can truly begin to reverse the widening inequality in America. Mike reminds us that unions are just people, Asking to be seen and heard and respected. And we should all want to support their efforts because when Americans work together, anything is possible. I would like to thank Mike for being here today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.